Hello everyone, my name is Reese Karlinski and this is Young History, episode 137 on Mali. The capitalist country is Bamako. The name Mali means place where the king lives. This honors the strength of the monarchs that ruled early in the Mali Empire and pretty much defined the culture of the nation hundreds of years ago. Currently, Mali is the eighth biggest nation in Africa, and Mali has a rich musical heritage and is often referred to as the music empire of West Africa. Traditional music, such as that of the griots, which are oral historians and musicians, has a really significant cultural influence here. The country has produced internationally renowned musicians like Ali Farkatore and Salif Keita. Traditional Malian architecture often involves the use of mud brick structures. The great mosques of Dejene are a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and they are the largest mud brick buildings in the world. And it is a really great example of the Sudano-Sahelian architecture. And the final fact is that the cliffs of the Hambori Mountains in Mali are adorned with ancient rock art. Some of this dates back thousands of years. These paintings depict scenes of daily life, animals, and rituals, and provide a lot of insight to that period, which is one of the things we base a lot of our history off of. So with that, I don't want to get any more ahead of myself and just want to roll right into this thing. So very glad you guys are here, and I'm very glad we're doing Mali and the Great Mali Empire today. So one more time, my name is Reese Garlinski. This is Young History, and this is Mali. I hope you guys enjoy. Our origins begin tens of thousands of years ago. Some of the early ethnic groups that have been present in Mali include the Bambara, the Sonike, the Malinke, known as Mandinka as well, and the Tuareg. One of the first civilizations to arise in the region was the city of Jene Jeno. The inhabitants were very art-focused and made sculptures that last to this day. Jene Jeno is considered one of the oldest known urban centers in sub-Saharan Africa. It was a hub for trade and cultural exchange from 250 BC all the way until 1400 CE. The inhabitants were involved in agriculture, fishing, and trade, and facilitated the growth of the country very heavily. The Ghana Empire was established around 700 CE, and it lasted until 1078 CE. The empire traded gold and salt in the trans-Saharan trade. Clashes with Morocco were common in thousands, and small villages started to form into their own fiefdoms rather than a united empire. Sundiatakita, born 1190 to one of the Ghanan royal fiefdoms, is one of the most important members of Mali's empirical history. Sundiata was a member of the royal family, and despite being born a cripple, he was named a prince. Suomaro Kante was a leader of one of the fiefdoms that went on to usurp power at the capital, Kumbe Saleh. Kante was of the Mandinka people. Sundiata became an exiled prince of Ghana and amassed an army against the usurper King Kante in 1234. The two men battled with their armies to control the capital of the empire. Sundiata won the battle and won back Ghana. Sundiata became the Mansa of the Twelve-Nation Alliance that backed him. This laid the foundation of the Mali Empire. Sundiata's rule brought democratic representation to the government with all twelve tribes sending a leader. Sundiata ruled for 20 years. The Mali Empire lasted from 1230s to The Mali Empire lasted from the 1230s to 1670. The empire expanded further than Ghana all the way to the coast of West Africa, which meant that there was more gold and trade available for this empire. The trade of slaves was especially popular. Gold, however, was the main source of wealth for the empire. 
After Sundiata's death, there was dynastic struggles because his biological son was not old enough to rule. However, his other sons started a dynastic conflict that split the empire. The conflict went back and forth for decades, and ended when court officials that descended from Sundiata's time took power in the country. They helped Mansa Kieda II ascend to the throne, and it was around this time that Islam was accepted by one of Sundiata's sons and spread across the empire. Mansa Kieda II raised a fleet of 2,000 ships to battle against the Moroccan Empire in the north. Timbuktu was a massive city that had adobe, which is kind of like stone mud-style structures that somehow lasted forever because of the great craftsmanship, as the styled architecture that was in the city. The city was a cultural and religious hub throughout the Mali Empire era. It was also the center for trade, which contributed to the phenomenal trade routes across Saharan Africa and went all the way west to also touch the ocean. And then, from 1230 to 1337, there was the rule of Mansa Musa. He saw the peak of the empire in expansion and wealth. At the time, Mali was the largest empire on the continent and had all the power. Mansa Musa is also believed by many scholars to be the richest man to ever live because any wealth in the empire directly belonged to him. From 1324 to 1326, Mansa Musa led a massive pilgrimage to Mecca. On this pilgrimage, he's believed to have traveled with around 60,000 people, including a bunch of elephants and carriages that had hundreds of different members. He gave out lots of gold to the cities he passed through. So much gold was actually handed out that gold became devalued and caused recessions in these nations because of the sheer market value it had and then crashed. Eventually, Mansa Musa died in 1337, and the empire slowly declined. Mansa Musa's son, the direct next ruler, only held power for four years. His brother Suleiman took power after his brother died of sleeping sickness. Suleiman lessened the spending of the nation to stabilize the economy. He made the Hajj to Mecca to maintain alliances and represent his connection to Islam. Despite his more moderate policies, Suleiman faced resistance from the tributaries of the empire. All of the original 12 chiefdoms that Sundiata formed had to pay money out to the greater Mali Empire. They were very sick of paying this tribute. Social inequality was a major weakness in the empire because people were forced to work as indentured servants to the empire. This made it easy for foreign powers to motivate Mali citizens against the Mali leaders. The three grandsons of Mansa Musa plunged the empire into civil war after Suleiman left the throne unoccupied. Each of these brothers would rule the empire for a time and all would leave negative legacies. They bankrupted the nation, weakened the power of the monarchy, and led to more instability across all of the classes in the empire. This made it very easy for Moroccan invaders to march in. Eventually, the royal family of the city of Gao, known as the Songhai, were able to rise up within the Mali Empire. Sunni Albur was a prince from Gao. He ascended to the throne in 1464. He was connected to animist beliefs, but claimed Islam for political reasons. He wanted also to strike against Mali. He formed the Songhai Empire and moved to expand it. The Songhai Empire was able to take over because of Mali's weakness. The Songhai Empire lasted from the 1460s until 1591. The city of Gao was developed as the capital and began to rival the city of Timbuktu and Dijene in influence and wealth. Sunni Ali trained the locals into a proper navy to fight in the river Niger. Sunni Ali never lost a battle in his time among the living. However, he did drown in 1492 during one of his campaigns. Aski Muhammad was his successor, and he expanded education and efforts toward devotion to Islam. He made the trek to Mecca and made and made relations better with neighbors along the way. He expanded the empire to an even greater extent than Mali ever had. Then, in 1545, he invaded Niani and forced the Mansas from his palace. The Songhai expanded power across the region, and the Mali were pushed all the way to the west coast. And the thing with this is that Mali wasn't completely defeated. The Mali empire was 
drowning and was pushed away and the Songhai took over, but the Mali dynasty was still there. So the Mansas were still in power in smaller regions. They just did not have control over the greater empire. That is why we're saying the Mali got pushed to the west. And bouncing back, despite all the growth, the end of the 1500s brought change to the Songhai. Internal conflicts, succession disputes, and external pressures contributed to the decline of this great empire. Eventually, the Portuguese arrived under Henry the Navigator. The Portuguese brought goods to the people in the region, but things quickly fell apart. The first expedition of the Portuguese was massacred by locals who sought to defend their coast. In 1456, the first Portuguese explorers made their way to Mali and got to interact with the government. The two powers found a common enemy in the Songhai who controlled the trans-Saharan trade. They both made trade agreements to help the Mali get involved in the Atlantic trade. The agreements also allowed Portuguese to extract many resources from Mali, the worst of which was enslaved people. The European market for slaves boomed, and Mali was on the path to send many that way. The slave trade weakened the manpower of Mali. The Mali Empire was challenged in war with the Moroccans. Invasions came from the north, specifically in 1591. The Battle of Tondibidi the Battle of Tondibi was fought on March 13, 1591. Moroccan invaders came down and assaulted Timbuktu, De Gene, and the western Mali cities. The city of Gao, where the Songhai capital was, also fell. This was mainly due to the Moroccans being the first in the region to get access to and master the use of gunpowder weapons. The arquebus was used as an early mounted gun, and this gun made the Moroccans technologically superior to the Songhai they faced. In the west, we would see Mali's last stand. Mansa Mahmud Keita IV defended the weakened Mali against Moroccan invaders. The gunpowder of the Moroccans wiped out the Mali forces no matter how many times different forces returned and no matter how big the band of soldiers were. The resilience of the Mali forced the Moroccans to retreat for the very first time. The Songhai counted this as a defeat, but the Mali did not. Mansa Mahmud Keita IV died in 1610. His death, caused that his death caused dynastic struggles among his sons, which weakened the empire further. In 1670, a successor state of the Songhai, the Bamana, invaded and burned Niani to the ground, and this was the official end of the Mali Empire. With the disintegration of the Songhai Empire, various regional kingdoms and states emerged, each vying for dominance. These included the Bambara Kingdom, the Fula States, and the Dendi Kingdom. These smaller entities often engaged in conflicts with one another, but none of them rose to true power. The Tuareg, which were a nomadic Berber people group that are major population of Mali today, exerted influence in certain areas, including parts of Mali. They were involved in trade and often played a role in politics in the region. The Sadian Empire, based in Morocco, exerted control over parts of West Africa, including the former Songhai territories. Then, the French marched into the area. They fully took over by defeating the powers in the area in 1892. The French changed the name to French Sudan and built a capital at Bamako. Economic exploitation was a key aspect of the colonial rule. The French extracted resources from Mali, including gold, peanuts, and other agricultural products to benefit the colonial economy. The forced cultivation of crops, such as peanuts, for export had significant implications for local economies and societies because the economy was now dependent on the trade the French allowed them to have, and many people were forced to work in areas that raised the peanuts. France ended slavery, expanded healthcare, education, and revitalized the economy of the country. But France also faced resistance from the native Africans because of the nasty side effects of colonialism. The Bambara resistance against the French forces, led by Samouraï Torre, is one of the more notable examples. However, most of the resistance movements were heavily suppressed. In the post-World War II period, there was a wave of anti-colonial movements across Africa. Across Africa. Colonized nations sought independence from the European colonial powers who had abused them for so long. 
Senegal and the Sudanese Republic were both French colonies within the French West African system, and they desired self-rule. Prominent political leaders in both Senegal and the Sudanese Republic played major roles in, in advocating for independence. Leopold Sadar Senghor, a leading figure in Senegal, and Mobido Kita, a leader in the Sudanese Republic, were both influential in the push for self The Mali Federation was created in 1959 to unite the power of Senegal and Mali. The idea of forming a federation between Senegal and the Sudanese Republic of Mali was proposed as a way to achieve independence while maintaining economic and political cooperation with each other, which would make them stronger in the face of the new challenges that would come with independence. Independence for Mali officially came in 1960 when Senegal left the federation and both states became independent countries. Widely known as the Year of Africa, 1960 saw at least a dozen African nations become independent all at once. Modibo Kita was named the first president. He was president for eight years. Mobido Kita's presidency left a complex legacy in the country. While he is remembered for his role in achieving independence and his emphasis on the African identity, his socialist policies faced a lot of challenge due to the economic difficulties they caused. Keita supported local chiefs who backed his new government. He specifically gave them weapons and imprisoned their opposition. This led to widespread corruption. In 1963, there was the Tuareg Revolt, where the Tuareg people revolted against the central government because they didn't want to be ruled by Bambara people. Keita was overthrown in 1968 in a bloodless coup that blamed the economic struggles of the nation on him. Moussa Tuareg led the coup. He took power and ruled the nation for two decades. He became more and more greedy with power as the years went on. He criminalized political parties, which allowed him to win elections year after year. Economic struggles dominated the nation and led to resistance to his leadership. However, the discovery of oil made the government greedy very fast. This led to international intervention to access said oil. Student-led protests and coups popped up more frequently in the 1980s. And Trare was unable to hold power and was ousted in 1991. This event was called the Mali March of Revolution, and it was led by Lieutenant Colonel Amadou Talmani. Talmani legalized political parties to try and bring order to the nation. Tamani helped establish the path towards national elections in 1992. In the 1992 election, Alpha Almor Konare was elected president and won re-election in 1997. His presidency was focused on expanding the private sector of the nation and attracting foreign investment to help the nation grow and improve the economics of the country. And he also wanted to expand social policies to address the issues such as eth- Kunare focused on social policies to address issues such as education and healthcare. He also hoped to improve access to education and improve healthcare services nationwide. Kunare sought to promote and preserve Mali's rich cultural heritage, including its diverse traditions, arts, and historical sites. Eventually, Kunare served international roles as the chairperson of the African Union from 2003 to 2008, and this led to bigger continental initiatives to connect the different nations and make peace spread across the entire region. But Konare did face a lot of critics because many were concerned about his lack of speed and efficiency with economic reform, and there were debates over issues such as corruption and governance. In the 2002 elections, Amadou Tomani, the man who helped establish the 92 elections, actually ran for president and won. In the same year, France canceled about 40% of the debt owed to it by Mali. Algerian jihadists then moved into the south in the desert of northern Mali. In 2004, American-led regents found deposits of oil, natural gas, and uranium in Mali. Mali was and is a resource-rich nation that, by all means, could be beyond self-sufficient economically, but the mismanagement of funds and the government has led to the nation being considered a failed state. We're going to get into more of that very soon. Internationally, 
Mali and Libya had established ties because of the pan-Africanism pushed by Muammar Gaddafi. In 2011, the West supported rebels in a civil war against Gaddafi, which led to his death. Gaddafi's death led to the Islamic State and other terrorist groups moving in to take power in the empty governments. Tuareg people fled to join these groups because they didn't like the idea that the Mali government was not going to take care of them. Timbuktu was raided and the north was taken over by jihadist groups. In 2012, Mali faced a coup. One of the primary catalysts for the coup was the rebellion in northern Mali led by the Tuareg separatist groups. The National Movement for the Liberation of Azwad, MNLA, and other armed factions sought to establish an independent Tuareg state in northern Mali. The Malian government's response to the rebellion was criticized for being inadequate and ineffective. There was a broader sense of frustration within the military and segments of the population regarding corruption, political mismanagement, and perceived inefficiency in the government all led to struggles. Some military leaders accused the political leadership, including President Tomani, of falling of failing to address the country's problems effectively. This coup started the Mali War, which is still being fought today. Tomani was forced into hiding, then exile in twenty twelve. The coup had a sig- the coup that ousted him had significant consequences for the ongoing conflict in northern Mali. The power vacuum and internal turmoil in Bamako provided an opportunity for various armed groups, including Islamic militants, to take control of northern regions and spread security thin. Al-Qaeda pushed out the moderate Tuareg rebels and fully took power in Timbuktu. With no time, there was fear that all Mali would fall to the Islamic extremists. France sent 3,000 special troops to help northern Mali. Britain sent MI6 special ops. The forces put pressure on Al-Qaeda, which fled northern Mali, and led to it being secured. A year after Al-Qaeda fled, 60% of French soldiers went home, but fighting still went on because the jihadists refused to surrender. A 2013 election placed Ibrahim Bobokar Keita at the head of state, and he was a former prime minister. Keita was a Bambara national that tried to launch anti-corruption policies. He was re-elected to the presidency again in 2018. Keita attempted to handle issues within the Mali War. However, his efforts were usually futile, and there was a lot of discontent nationwide because nobody felt safe. The desert war became the deadliest in UN history because UN troops were dying every day in Mali's desert, fighting against the terrorist groups and driving into IEDs. There was no safety. The vastness of the great desert that is the Sahara made it impossible to fight here, and the war still goes on literally to this day. And but. Then back to internal stuff, between 2013 and 2014, mismanagement of funds costed the nation 150 billion francs because of how much money was being spent in the war effort and how little money was being used the right way to expand the government. In 2020, there was another Malian coup d'etat. It was onset by the 2020 elections that were frequently postponed and then ruled as corrupt. At first, demonstrations for democracy occurred. Then the June movement rally occurred and many opposition groups formed a coalition against the government. On August 18, 2020, troops marched to Bamako and arrested Keita, the prime minister, and other senior officials. Hours later, Keita announced that he was resigning, and he also dissolved the government and National Assembly. A military junta, the National Committee for the Salvation of the People, CNSP, assumed control of the nation. The coup, while widely supported in Mali, was not looked upon favorably in the region. Negotiations regarding the creation of a transitional government soon commenced. In mid-September, the struggle and parameters of the transitional government were announced. It would be headed by an interim president and prime minister. That was not to exceed 18 months in office, and would eventually roll into new elections. Ba Nda, a retired colonel and former defensive minister, was named interim president, and Colonel Asimi Goita, the chairman of the CNSP, was named interim vice president. Because of his role in the coup, and because of the call for a civilian-led transitional administration, he was widely supported. 
This fell through in no time as Goita had Indah arrested and held in contempt after he tried to reshuffle the government. Goita said there would be an election in early 2022, but it did not happen and he still holds power to this day. The action by Gota is seen as the Malian coup of 2021. In 2023, 97% of Malian voters chose to remove France as the official language of Mali. The 13 local languages, such as Bambara, would be the languages of the nation. This comes with a vote to rewrite the constitution. The Federation of Sahel States may be rising. Due to the jihadism and widespread poverty in both Mali and Burkina Faso, the two Sahel nations have had meetings to form a new United Nation. The odds of it happening are low, but both Burkina Faso and Mali have been in political chaos the last two decades trying to halt jihadism. Both nations are deeply impoverished and believe a unity would help cease tension in the region. There is also hope that uniting the nations would bring economic stability, as there's been so much of that plaguing the country. And that all brings us to the present, where Mali is filled with violence, poverty, and fear. The government is battling insurgencies and terrorist organizations across the nation. Mali ranks as very low on the HDI because about 50% of the population lives in poverty. There is still a lot of violence that goes on in the north, and the Mali war rages on. Safety is the most prominent issue right now, and there really isn't a clear solution in sight. But with all that being said, we are going to do a takeaway or a mindset that we can get from this history, as it's always part of what we do here to either highlight the strengths of the nation or push through the struggle. And with Mali, we're going to say that the lesson is be resilient. It's very simple with Mali, simply because these people are fighting so much. It's been continual year after year. They're facing attacks from the north. They've had invasions. They've had all these things happen throughout their history. Just constantly, especially because of the area they live, facing intervention from outside power, be it the west, be it the north, be it terrorist groups, be it anything. So with that being said, I say be resilient. These people are still very proud of their culture, their history. Timbuktu is still a cultural site that few people have ever been able to surpass in greatness. And it's just very special. These people are the same. All the different groups, the languages, all have persevered All have persevered through a lot of struggle. I say you can do the same with yourself because whatever you're going through, I very much hope is not as hard as what Molly's going through. And if they can push through this and resist and hold on to everything that's powerful and meaningful to them, then you can do the same. So with that being said, I'm going to say goodbye. And I enjoy this history a lot. Everything to do with Molly is very special. It's a very unique country and it's seen so much history. Some of the greats, including Mansa Musa, all sorts of things like that. It's been very enjoyable, but I am going to say goodbye and I hope you guys enjoyed it. So one more time. My name is Reese Karlinski. This is Young History, and that was Molly. You guys have a great one.